Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Rhino Podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Interviews with your favorite artists and bands about the songs and albums you love. Here's your host, Rich Mahan. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we're pleased to welcome back Mickey Dolenz. In a long and involved conversation with myself, I saw a precious thing come into view. When I poured through the files, taken off my metal shelf, I dusted off some memories of you. Then I thought about the times when our fair was green, how the phoenix of our love first flapped its silken wings. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rhino Podcast. John Hughes is with us, as always. John, how are you today? I'm doing okay, Rich. I am doing just fine. Actually, I'm excited. Some cool stuff. Yeah, we have a new announcement. There is a new release on the way, isn't there? Yeah, uh, Tina Turner Foreign Affair is coming in a deluxe edition. Now, Foreign Affair was one of the biggest albums of the 80s. If you don't remember it, it, you know, it has, of course, the best. I think it kind of gets overshadowed by Private Dancer, so we're going to do our best to correct that. It has the original album fully remastered for the first time with another CD of B-sides, remixes, and a previously unheard demo of that classic single, The Best. And there's two more discs on this. CDs three and four are an iconic Tina Turner live show from Barcelona in 1990. She does a number of her most loved tracks, including, of course, What's Love Got to Do With It, Proud Mary, and that aforementioned Private Dancer, and a lot more. This performance is also available on the DVD that comes with this, as well as the six music videos from this album singles, fully restored to HD. This four CD, one DVD deluxe box set, or you can get two LP black vinyl, CD single, digital, or two LP white vinyl. They're all exclusive to rhino.com. Only place you can get it, not Amazon, not anywhere else, just rhino.com. It's up for pre-order now, and it is out July 16th. And you know that live set is smoking because that's when she was just at the height of her popularity and powers. Yeah, if you were watching MTV a lot in that era or VH1, they they pulled a lot from that performance for live, live clips, and they used to play it on there. So you may be familiar with a couple of them. Yeah, good stuff. Well, meanwhile, I want to remind everybody that Black Music Month is still happening. Rhino will expand its celebration with a series of high-profile vinyl, CD, and digital releases throughout the month of June and well into July as well. Why not make it an extra month? Uh, It includes definitive albums from Charles Mingus, Curtis Mayfield, Milt Jackson and Ray Charles, Zap and Roger, my personal favorite, The Drifters, and of course, The Time along with previously unreleased music from Miles Davis and Roberta Flack. Now, these influential black artists paved musical highways for generations to come, and it all led to cultural, social, and political revolutions that are still ringing true this year. You can find out a lot more at rhino.com. A lot of great titles in there. 
I know. And I just am excited and really pleased with the reception they've been getting. So it's very, very cool. Well, today on the Rhino Podcast, we have part two of our Monkeys doubleheader. And John, you know who we have. Tell the folks who's the guest today. The one, the only Mickey Dolans. And I'm shocked that I wasn't on this interview. <laughs> <laughs> he actually asked, he's like, is John joining us? And <laughs> I think he was a little bummed that you couldn't make it. I don't have to be there for everything. You're, you're, you're well qualified, Rich. I'm going to sit back and enjoy this. I love it. <laughs> well, John, thank you very much. Well, Mickey Dolans has a new album out entitled Dolans Sings Nesmith, which, as the title states, features Mickey singing many of his friend Michael Nesmith's songs. Also recently released is The Monkeys Live, The Mike and Mickey Show, which was recorded during the first leg of their tour that was sidelined along with everything else in the pandemic. The duo is heading back out again this fall for a run of about 40 dates, a list of which lives at monkeys.com. Mickey filled us in on everything about both new albums and the upcoming tour and gave us a little bit of monkey history. Reason thus, some pros arrive, lose themselves and other ties, and waiting hopes cast silent spells. That speak in clouded clues It cannot be a part of me For now, it's part of you Mickey Dolans, welcome back to the Rhino Podcast. Well, thank you very much. Nice to be back. <laughs> Always good to have you, absolutely. I don't know if there's any other artist that's more of the Rhino family than the Monkees, honestly. So, thank you. You have a new record out that everybody's very excited about, including myself. Dolan Sings Nesmith just came out. The title for this is Very Harry Nelson. And I know you and he were great friends. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's for, you know, 50 years ago or something. <laughs> well, I was there with him. Uh, you know, he was probably my best friend at the time. And he uh, he did Nielsen Sings Newman, Songs of Randy Newman, and I was there. I went to some of the sessions, and I just remember thinking, what a great what a great idea. And then fast forward 50 years, and I was in rehearsals with Mike and Peter for a tour after David passed, and I just said to Nez, you know, I'd love to do this, uh, an album, Dolan Sings Nesmith. And he said, well, Mick, I think that's a great idea. I'll give you some nice songs. <laughs> and But then it went on the back burner because we, we went on tour, then we came back, and then I did a, a show, and we did another tour and a, a recording. And so, I don't know, I guess a couple of years ago now, 7A Records in England uh, asked if who, who have released, uh, re-released a, a lot of catalog stuff of mine. And they... um. They said, do you anything original that you've been thinking of doing? And I said, yeah, I always wanted to do Dolan Sings Nesmith. And they love the idea. And um, I engaged Andrew Sandoval, which we all know, mm-hmm. um, as the A&R. And then I got Christian Nesmith involved. I asked him if he would like to produce. And he, you know, he said, wow. And we talked and uh, he felt he could he could do it. You know, the problem was that none of us wanted to do a karaoke cover version album. Right. 
you know, but re-envisioning songs, especially if they've been hits, is real tough. But that was the challenge of how to do these songs and, and do them in a different way, but not really too obvious, not like you're, you know, sending up a flare, say, oh, aren't we clever? And with the songs of Nez's that are not so well-known, album cuts and things after the Monkees with First National Band that not everyone has heard, wasn't as big a problem as, as tackling some of the ones that we all knew. And I, I just totally backed off. I said, you know, I know this material too well. I cannot imagine how you would do Circle Sky without doing it like it was done for the movie Head and, and you know, <laughs> made famous. And I've done it on stage for 40 years with the Monkees Urban in my solo show. Yeah, that, that that arrangement is branded in your head. How you probably can't think about it differently. No, and all of them I can't. I couldn't yeah, think right. of any of them. Yeah. And Chris and I said he 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 felt the same way, but he says, you know, because imagine if they're branded in my head, you know, he's been hearing this stuff since he's in the crib. Yeah, exactly. But he said, Let me have a shot. And he started noodling, and he and Andrew and I talked about different song choices. And there were some that just were so obviously, there's no way you're going to do like Joanne, for instance. How do you do that without the yodel? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. Or listen to the band, which, you know, you got to have a band and it's, there's only one or two lyric lines. And so, you know, but then uh, Andrew knows Nez's material intimately and obviously Christian does. And so we just went back and forth and back and forth. And in terms of Circle Sky, I don't know if you've heard any of it yet. Oh, yeah. You know, when I heard his demo idea for Circle Sky, I was just blown away. Uh, how in the world did you come up with that? And he said, well, tell you the truth, I was playing around with it a lot and coming up with different, you know, acoustic things and this and that. And it was his partner, Cersei Link, who also does wonderful backgrounds on this album, a beautiful singer. And she's in our show too, uh, Cersei is. And he said, that, and he told me, he said, she's walking by the little studio room and one day listening to me trying to come up with something for Circle Sky, because it's pretty iconic too. And she said, why don't you try it as an Indian raga? And he did. And I heard it and it just blew me away. captured the song and the time and the zeitgeist of the time in the movie head and that's one of my favorite you know I got so many on there but that is one of my favorite but that was the challenge and I'm very very pleased very proud of how it came out and Nez is too he told me the other day I said you like it he says I not only like it I'm real proud of it and he should be it's a wonderful wonderful collection of his poetry because he is such a poet yeah. I think it really speaks to the depth of a song that it can be reinterpreted in such an incredibly different way and still have so much impact. I mean, that song sounds brilliant. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And you're absolutely right. That is the sound of a, of a good song. And I, 
that it can be reinterpreted in other ways. It's tougher, of course, when you have a hit, a big hit. Sure. Um, then it gets tougher because er- the the public, you know, just knows that song inside out. That's why not a lot of people have been able to come up with interesting, different versions. I call them reimagined uh, versions of Beatle tunes. There's been very few, if you think about it. Yeah. Joe Cocker was about the only one yeah, years that's ago. That's right. That's right. That that actually did it, and he did it not long after the Beatles. Uh, you know, obviously which uh, was even more uh, more amazing that he did that. But it's tough when you, when, when you have really iconic songs. It's, it's much tougher. But boy, Christian did. I think he just did a fantastic job. No, I think this, this record sounds great right from the get-go. The opening song, Carlisle Wheeling, it just comes in with this string section that sounds so full and beautiful. John Hughes interviewed Christian for last week's episode. So we yeah. got some producer notes on it. And I know that he did most of this in his home studio, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, not these days so much. You know, most of everything I've done for, not everything, but, but a lot of recording I've done over the last, well, even decade, even 10 years, so much of it is, you know, in, in home studios because there's just no need to rent that that space and have all those expenses because, now with the computer programs, you just don't have to have those big empty spaces, uh, you know, and spend all that money. You know, you, you literally can record, and then you send the stems out to other musicians, so they and they have recording equipment, and you get yeah. it all back. And right. no, uh, he did go in the studio for the drums. He, he wanted real live drums, and you ain't going to do that in a in an apartment studio. Sure. And then also, uh, one of the contributions that I that I made to the arrangements and I didn't make many because I just, I just could not imagine. I couldn't think of these songs in any other way. He sent me a demo of an idea for nine times blue. And it was an acoustic demo on the guitar. And it was, it was cool. It was great. And I don't know how or why, but one day lying in bed or in the shower or something, I just came up with this idea of doing it. Just my voice and a grand piano, a tempo out of out of tempo yeah and i pitched it to him and sang a little bit like that and he loved it and we went in the studio with jim cox the keyboardist and we did that because that was live that was live live grand piano me singing live with him and we we, those were it was one take jobs you know it was the whole thing and now i feel like such a fool for making you crawl back to me But you did it with such love That you're standing far above Me and all I did to you I'm sorry now What can I do? That creates a special kind of vibe when you do it that yeah. way. You have that energy and in the interaction with the other musicians, and it's it's like playing live sports or something. It just has this right. excitement that you can't get another way. You know, you mentioned Nine Times Blue. That has one of my favorite moments on the record at the end when it transitions into Little Red Rider. What a oh, great moment. I know. And, and, you know, if it wasn't for the, the way you have to cut up the tracks, I guess, like you, I guess you could do on vinyl. 
they actually do the original whole whole uh, construction it actually does go right all the way through it doesn't stop the yeah. track change yeah love the feel of that and then of course it comes in with that probably the rockiness guitar on the record i would say easily yeah great guitar part on that little ed rider back a little bit let's talk about your relationship with mike and when you guys met back in the 60s did you guys just hit it off right away what was your relationship like it started out very uh, formal uh, in in a way i mean we were literally introduced to each other one day we had all gone through the audition process and that had been a couple of god it seemed like it was forever much more intensive than a normal sitcom uh, TV series auditions, which usually was just reading from a script and maybe a screen test. Yeah, This was script work, scene study, and screen tests. And then, of course, improvisation. They, they weighed heavily on the improvisation. So there were interviews, which I found the most difficult because I hadn't been used to improv at the time. I was an actor doing, doing you know, TV shows and stuff. And then there was the music. Then you had to be able to sing, obviously. And you had to be able to play an instrument to get anywhere near through the, even the, the early auditions. My audition piece, for example, was Johnny Be Good on the guitar. So it went on for a long time. I remember vaguely the, the final, like, eight people. I rem- but I couldn't, I don't remember Nez from the final screen tests. And I don't remember Peter or any of the other guys, but I remember Davey. And I think it might be because we had a lot in common. We'd both done television. And so we were familiar with the process. So I remember David and they teamed the two of us up together. It seems to me, I seem to remember they put us in, in like pairs and then doing dialogue and stuff. And I remember Davey. Anyway. So my agent says, you know, weeks, a couple of weeks later, you got the pilot of the show. And, you know, I didn't even quit school. I was in college <laughs> doing architecture and I didn't even quit. I just took a week or two off to do the pilot because I knew that pilots usually don't sell. Yeah. So I didn't even quit school until until they got the order for the series. Then, of course, I did. And the first thing that happens when you get cast in something is the wardrobe people call you because that's the thing that takes the longest to get in in hand is making wardrobe, buying wardrobe. So I got the wardrobe call. They said, go down to Columbia lot on Gower and Sunset Uh for a wardrobe fitting. And I drive down there. And what's so funny is that I go through the guard gate, the same guard gate I used to go through 10 years earlier as circus boy right? with, with my mother. And it's the same guard. <laughs> he, says, he didn't hey, remember Mickey. you, did he? Did he remember you? Oh, he says, of course. He says, hey, Mickey. Hey, how you doing? I hear you got a new pilot. <laughs> same friggin' guard. Anyway, I go to the wardrobe department. I knew right where it was. 
And the one of the producers of the show uh, was there and three other guys. <laughs> and, they, and the producer says, hey, Mickey, this is Davey. Oh, yeah. Hi, this is Peter. And this is uh, Mike. Oh, hi, Peter. Hi, Mike. You guys are the monkeys. <laughs> That's how I met. That's how we met. <laughs> then I, I, I remember doing the pilot vaguely, pretty intense, kind of crazy, went very fast. And then I went back to school. I, I remember keeping in touch with the other guys, kind of waiting to find out if the, if the series sold. And so then Mike and I started hanging out, and, and Davey and I, and I hung out, and Peter, you know, nearly didn't sell, but we get the order. But we're hanging out a little bit in the meantime. I was over at Nesmith's apartment when Christian was there crawling around on the floor. Yeah. And Nes was playing me tunes. And then when we started doing the show, of course, we were, you know, together 24-7, basically, for two years. And we did start singing together because we needed to start rehearsing for the tour that was being planned. When we started rehearsing... We tended to play Nesmith tunes because he was about the only one writing anything. So we would he'd be on guitar, Peter on bass or keyboard, Davey on percussion, and me on drums in a little on a sound stage, you know, uh, on the lot. Yeah. And we started playing, and I was taking drum lessons frantically, <laughs> furiously, <laughs> and Nes would start playing his tunes, and we really hit it off musically and right from the get go. And I think it's because he was from Texas, as we know, from Dallas. And I, my mom was from Austin, Texas. And so I was brought up on, and she was a singer and musician. She played the piano and sang and acted. And so our house always had music. And of course, it tended to be like Tennessee or Ford or Sons of the Pioneers. <laughs> so I was familiar with, with the country sound. And then when, as I was growing up, I became a huge Everly Brothers fan. Haven't you referred to you and Mike singing together as the Everly Monkeys? Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened. So he would start singing his tunes, and I would automatically fall into that third harmony above. Yeah. And we had a great blend. So that's where the musical blend came from. And, this, and we both liked the, the similar kinds of music yeah. also. And then the, as far as the, uh, the acting and the, and the comedy, we also hit it off. We had very similar comedy sensibilities. We both liked Monty Python and Dudley Moore and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we also hit it off. And I picked up from him improv skills. And he picked up from me, he says, television shooting skills, acting, acting skills on the set. And, and so that's the short answer as to how it all kind of happened. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a real symbiotic relationship for sure. Yeah. You've known Christian Nesmith all of his life. When did you see him emerge as a musical force of his own? Well, I don't remember a particular moment just over the years. Of, I bumped into him, you know, over the years, uh, of course, through family things. And, of course, keeping track of Nesmith and, and his family. I lived in England for, for many years in the 70s and 80s. But I, so I would say a few years ago when we started touring again and Nesmith brought him into the fold along with Cersei and Pete Finney on steel guitar when we went out with Peter and Mike and, and Peter and I. And so then Christian, you know, I obviously was spending an awful lot of time with him on and off the stage. You know, we would traveled around in the last tour. We, he and Cersei were on the bus with me and, uh, so that, but that's, it would have been, you know, a few years ago. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys have worked in the past. Obviously, he did a little bit on Good Times, which was the fantastic yep. record that uh, Dearly Departed Adam Schlesinger produced, who was one of the. Oh, what a great album, it. too. It's a fantastic album. And I'm so glad to see that on the tour that you guys have coming up and on the Monkey's record, that me and yeah. Magdalena is on there. And I think me and Magdalena is a perfect example, especially on this live record, of you and Mike singing that close third. Everly style harmony. Oh, it's incredible. What a song. What a song. Me and Magdalena, we're driving south through Monterey. As the sun is slowly sinking into a distant. You guys obviously are already playing Circle Sky and Tapioca Tundra live in the set. Uh, I've heard that you're going to try to stick to the what's on the record for the most part, but now that you've recorded those two songs, reimagined them, so to speak, are you going to adopt the new arrangements or are you going to stick to the way you had them before? Uh, that's a good question. We haven't gone that far to discuss uh, you know, anything too, in too much detail. I uh, met with Mike just a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, we're going to be basically doing that show because that's what people bought tickets for yeah. <laughs> two years ago. Sure. <laughs> so, so we're going to stick for the most part with that, with that show. But I, I said I would love to do something off my new album, and he was all for it too. So I'm not sure which songs it would be. It's a good a good call of, you know, with something like Circle Sky with people loving the original and then uh, everybody loving the new version. It's tough. I mean, in a way, how you, uh, but we'll, we'll um, you know, we'll attack it. We'll attack it. There's a two or three beautiful songs. A Keep On is another one yeah. from from uh, the, the album, which um, we all love. And I would love to do that live. And of course, there's, then there's different drum too, which we did manage to to get away with it, having it been such a big hit. I think Christian did a really great job of, you know, not turning it into a rap or something or, you know, doing that. Well, let's talk about different drum. Was there any trepidation on your part, knowing that it had been a huge hit for Linda back in the day, going into something that has been kind of inked, so to speak, into the mind of the public? It's a little bit of a higher bar. Were you thinking oh, about yeah. that when you cut that one? Um, no, by the time I was cutting it, by the time I was, you know, doing my vocals, it was too late, you know. But we we uh, recorded a couple more things than we needed anyway, as you usually do. And, you know, we just said, Let, we, let's give it a shot, you know. And I think Christian came up with a real, you know, a real good well, we'll call it a re-envisioning, but it's not not so extreme as some of the others. But I'm very, very pleased with it. You and I travel to the beat of a different drum. Oh, can't you tell by the way I run? 
But that song is also so much of us and Nez anyway. That's one of the very first songs Nesmith wrote, even I think, before the monkeys he was writing. And that I'm pretty sure that was one he'd even written before the monkeys. And he was, you know, going around town hawk, hawking his songs, you know, when he came for the monkey audition. And the way he tells it, and he told me this story, I tell it on stage. He went into the producers in the early days of the of the monkeys when we were filming with his acoustic guitar and said, here's a song I want to record for the monkeys with the monkeys. And he played his version, acoustic version, a different drum. And they said, uh, you know, maybe it was Donnie Kirshner or somebody he said, yeah, well, that's nice, but it's not a monkey song. And he said, but wait a minute, I am one of the monkeys. <laughs> and they said, uh, yeah, that's fine. Thank you very much, but no thank you. It's, you know. And so he said, oh, okay. And he ended up selling it to this young girl singer who was kicking around town, and we all knew her. She was unknown at the time, named uh, Linda Ronstadt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and gave it to her. And she was in the Stone <laughs> Ponies at that time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. How is it when you play with Mike on stage and you've got, it's, it's the Monkeys Live, the Mike and Mickey show. You're actually building these shows as your farewell tour for the Monkeys. How many times did you guys get postponed until the current dates that we have now? Four times. Wow. Like everybody else, yeah, we did the first leg of the show in the fall of 19. And then the second leg, this leg, the first leg was back east mostly. The second leg, this leg, which is now mostly Midwest and West, and but now some additional dates again back east. That was going to supposed to be spring of last year, you know, around uh, April or May. Yeah. So about a year ago. And then, of course, uh, postponed until the fall of last year. And then again, postponed until this spring. Supposed to be going out last this last April. And again, postponed. Uh, now it's the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm optimistic that that it'll it'll happen now. I don't think there there would be another total and complete shutdown, but you never know. Hope not. Knock on wood. Things are looking good though, for sure. How are these shows with just you and Mike different from shows in the past where you had well both Peter and Davey or just Peter after Davey passed? Was it easier to put this show together with fewer cooks in the kitchen? Well, I'm not sure it was it was easier. It's always a challenge to put together a new show. But Mike and I had decided it's not going to be your a monkey show. That's why we don't call it the monkeys. It's the monkeys present mm-hmm. the Mike and Mickey show. And so there's a distinction and everybody gets that and they got it. And we've all agreed as long as we and I've always felt this way, as long as you give an audience your big hits and I believe in their entirety, in the same arrangement, because they're singing along, as long as you give them those big hits, then you can basically do anything else you want in a show. You can go deep album cuts, you can do new material, you can do other people's material, you know, yeah, you can, sure. because once they know they're going to get that, and they're satisfied with that, they, they know they're going to be satisfied with that. You give them a the meat and potatoes, and then you can put all kinds of icing that you want. So when we agreed that, then we started looking at a lot of songs that we'd not done ever on the road, mainly Nez tunes, and then also playing around with some of the stuff that we had done over the years, not total re-envisioning, but a little bit of Nez 
would do some of his tunes that he'd written, but he'd written them in a different field than actually we'd recorded them back in those days. So it's a, really a very interesting show musically. And of course, now we have 11 pieces. We have a friggin' orchestra. You've got a it great is band. Wonderful. Yeah. You know, because a lot of Nez's stuff, post monkeys, well, even stuff during the monkeys, but post monkeys requires a, a steel guitar. And Pete Finney, who's an A list steel guitar player, he comes out and does some wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yeah, love the steel on this record for sure. Well, you guys are doing about 40 shows, but you yeah. said you don't really enjoy the traveling part of touring. So what do you do to make that more palatable? How do you know that? Did I tell you that once? I've heard that. I've, I think I read it in another interview. Yeah, I have, I've said it in every interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I've never have. Um, I'm like a fine wine. I do not travel well. <laughs> I should I should be lying on my side in a cellar covered with dust. Um, <laughs> then I'm comfortable. Nice, cool cellar. No, I've never traveled well. I don't like it. I love the shows doing that. But like they, like we say, they pay us to travel. We sing for free. Yeah, yeah right. Um, and that's the way I, I feel about it. I'm going to make it as comfortable as I can. We've kept the the routing down so that it's, I believe we're not doing more than three in a row three shows in a row. Yeah. And at my age, that's even pushing it. <laughs> and, um, uh, but you know, uh, I'll make it, I'm going to uh, be, be very careful and I'm going to take my vitamins and <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe even a few private planes or something when it saves me 10 hours, you know, on a bus and, and don't get me wrong. They're great buses, tour buses, you know, oh, they're yeah. pretty amazing, but 10 hours is still on a bus. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, even though you guys are billing these as the farewell tour, I can't see this being the end of Mickey Dolan's performing. It's just who you are. It's, I just can't see it ending. No, it's not. It's it's, But it's the last. We asked ourselves initially, we said after Peter passed away, well, that's it. What are we going to do now? And I still was doing solo shows in Nesbos. And we talked and we agreed. They ain't going to call it the monkeys because up until even with Peter, the three of us, Peter, Mike, and I, we were calling it the monkeys. Uh, or Peter, David, and I were calling it the monkeys. But yeah, when it was right. just two, we said, what are we going to do? Call it the Tukies? You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, the word got out. And we, you know, polled a little bit. Some of the super fans and, and Rhino and, and some of the, you know, well, what do you think? What can we do? And the fans came back with, oh, please, please go back on the road. Call it anything you want. You right. Know? They just want to hear you guys sing. And so we thought, well, that makes a lot of sense because the Monkees was a television show and it was more than just the records and more than just the show. It became, you know, this franchise and this brand. And so that's what that's when we came up with the idea of the Monkees present the Mike and Mickey show and the Mike and Mickey show came actually the name came from when we were filming the show back in the sixties, Nez and I, like I was mentioning, we were really great at, it became really great at improv. Well, he was always good at it, but I got better and we would start improving on some riff, you know, doing uh, uh, the, in the script and you know, the crew would just be cracking up. And we would look at each other and go, one day, the Mike and Mickey show. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. Well, Mickey, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank it. you. Yeah. 
Cheers. Thank you very much. And say hi to everybody over there at Rhino for me. We will. Can't wait to see you on the road. Bye-bye. Huge thanks to Mickey Dolans for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us today. You can check out a list of upcoming tour dates for the Monkees Present the Mike and Mickey Show at monkeys.com. Thanks very much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time here on the Rhino Podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino Podcast. Producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by Rich Mayhem Promotions. All rights reserved.